Hi, I'm Kristen Howerton, and I blog at Rage Against the Minivan. And I'm Paul Martin, and I blog at Paula Sophia. And you're listening to Why Partisan, a political conversation between two friends from different sides of the aisle. I'm a Democrat. And I'm a Republican, and we are both passionate political junkies trying to figure out how to have a civil discourse about politics. From social justice issues to the intersection of race, religion, and public policy, we're delving into all aspects of the political arena. Today is October 18th, and we're talking about the drama over calls to Gold Star families, the latest healthcare flip-flop, the most recent overturn of an attempted travel ban, and we're also going to discuss Harvey Weinstein's sexual assault, the Me Too campaign, and how partisan ties play into perception on this issue. All right, so before we dive into all of these topics, this is our um, this is our very first podcast. It is. It is. And we've had a year and a half, though, of talking about these issues on we Facebook. We've been discussing this. So, you know, for those of you who, um, you know, maybe found us on iTunes and haven't listened to us before or aren't familiar, we have been doing these conversations for well over a year. Mm-hmm. And how did we start? Yeah, the idea was we knew an election was coming up. Kristen and I have been friends for a long time. She's on the left. I'm on the right. And we thought, let's just start chatting a bit about this election. But we had no idea what was to come. We really didn't, and we thought we were going to have this really healthy debate, right. but, you know, in the end, um, we ended up agreeing more than disagreeing. Yeah, we found that Trump um, unified us. On, <laughs> on, on he certain, is unifying the country. Uh, uh, he's unified, well, not parts of the country that we want to be unified, but yeah. we did find ourselves both equally, just putting it mildly, upset with a lot of what went on and decided that... Um, you know, we wanted to just talk about our differences, and even though we are, we, we see eye to eye on some things for sure. Yeah, we do, and we we all, we also do have our own political differences, even still. And you know, one of the things we wanted to model is that even though you and I have had vehement disagreements on certain political issues, we've always remained friends. We've mm-hmm. always had a respect for one another. We've always mm-hmm. had an intellectual discussion on these mm-hmm. issues that has never in our friendship resorted to, you know, kind of insults or judgments right. of one another. Right. And so a secondary vision of this podcast, the first would be just talking about stuff that really matters in the political world. But the other would be to provide perhaps a model for those of you that have, you know, someone in your life that that just doesn't, that, that gets too angry. We We could disagree with people about issues, but we do not have to throw them under the bus. And that's really what we want this to be about. We, we want to, hopefully, if we could affect 1% of 1% of 1% of the American population to have a civil discourse, mm-hmm. uh, we think we would have done something good, maybe. Yeah, and, you know, we also, we want to talk about the issues of the day in a way that's relatable. So, you know, maybe you're not a news junkie like we are, and we want to talk about this in layman's terms. Yep. Um, you know, and hopefully our weekly conversations can be a source of information for you. Yep. Although we are, you know, I guess we should probably caveat that we are <laughs> we are not journalists. Yeah, we're not journalists, but I mean, that's, Kristen raises such a good point because a lot of the political news sources that we watch or listen to, uh, you know, they're they're kind of for, for wonks, you know, they're kind of for political junkies, but we really just want to have a normal conversation and not bring in a bunch of technical terms. We just want to talk about how these issues affect our country and affect people at home. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, bearing in mind what we're sharing is opinion. But, Mm -hmm. you know, the truth of the day is in this, you know, age of blogs and opinion pieces, the difference between fact and opinion is not always clear to many people. Absolutely. And perhaps in one episode, we should talk about the difference between uh, news sources or their worthy sources and and some website where people are citing People are citing these websites as uh, credible, but that's another topic for another day. Yes, but this is not a news podcast. This is an opinion podcast, but my opinion is the right one. Yes, of course it is. That's (laughs) right. So so I know better than to mess with that. Just so we've cleared that up. All right, so let's take a look at the headlines from this week. So there is a bunch of drama over... Phone calls to Gold Star families. So what is a Gold Star family? Yeah, it's a family that, lost, you know, mother or father that lost their child in battle. In battle. And, um, you know, history, um, historically, presidents have reached out to families, often mm-hmm. in some way or another. Um, there isn't a really clear protocol, but um, sometimes that results in a phone call. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it results in a president being um, witness to mm-hmm. um you know, the memorial services. So, and letters, letters, you know, some, there's generally some kind of a gesture. Always. And depending on the era, right. A president can't call during Vietnam, 500 Mm -hmm. people every three or four days. And so of course, Mm -hmm. back in those days, it just depends on the era, uh, and the, the feasibility of a president being able to have the time to call, you know, one or two or 10 a day or whatever. Right. So there um, there were some deaths in Niger mm-hmm. over the past week um, of convoys. It actually was about two, almost two weeks ago. That was, was part it? of the part of the controversy was that it took President Trump 12 days to finally say something. And of course, on social media, of course, people on the left were, you know, chiding him saying, why haven't you said something? And I, the interesting point, and we're going to get into this incident that happened today or yesterday, but I watched on the news two or three nights ago, I watched it live, and President Trump was in the Rose Garden, and he said, Mitch McConnell was right next to him, and he said, you know, I'm really sorry about these families, and I just want to say that I call the families. Obama didn't do that. Obama didn't call the families, and uh, but I made sure that I not only call the families, but I write a letter, and immediately I... I was in such shock that I hit pause, I pulled out my iPhone, I hit rewind, and I recorded the next three minutes of him politicizing mm-hmm. something that I, no president has ever, as mm-hmm. far as I know in the history of this country, politicized the death of an American soldier. And then a little bit later, uh, you know, during the questions, a reporter said, um, Mr. President, you said that President Obama didn't call families. How do you know? And he said, no, I didn't say that. What I said is, mm. I've been told, and of course, that's where he, that's his go-to. It's I've been, plausible deniability. Plausible I can make deniability. a claim, but I don't have to back up the claim. Right. I've been told. And what's so interesting about that, just it's what's so interesting about that is after Charlottesville, of course, mm-hmm. he didn't say anything about, he didn't come right out Mm-mm. and denounce the grotesque acts. Mm-hmm. And three days later, when they asked him, he said, I like to know the facts before I say anything. Right, but here he is standing in front of the nation Mm -hmm. saying something that he heard somebody say. Perhaps he heard it. Right. And I just, I, as a Republican who has a lifelong Republican, that is not who we are. No, I completely agree. I mean, 
At the end of the day, regardless of your policy, regardless of where you stand, we should all be offended right. by a national leader who stands in front of us and makes a fact up. Absolutely. And I thought about all the veterans. I thought about all the families, the mother, you know, the, the, the wives and the daughters and the brothers of people who have lost their lives in battle. And to hear that in that moment, I would right. be really it's sad and really angry. really inconsiderate. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of a backdrop. To yeah, it's tone deaf. Well, and so, you know, I mean, the, the proper response to why have you not said anything should have been, I'm sorry. Right. And today he came out and said, well, you know, you're not supposed to, he said, he came out today and said, well, you're not supposed to call right away. And so I waited. And so I, I just, there's just something not right. And I don't believe, I will call out the left when I need to, but this doesn't seem to be an issue of the left. It seems to be total tone deafness. And then you have the other thing about the, the widow that he called, right? Well, yeah, talk about that. Well, I mean, evidently, right, he he uh, he um, calls the widow of one of the soldiers, one of the uh -huh. four soldiers, African-American man, and he calls the widow finally and says to her, uh, well, he, he, you know, he knew what he was getting into. These are the words, apparently, that he used. And there was a a congresswoman that was right next to her that heard it. Wow. And immediately this congresswoman from Florida came out and said, I wanted to rip the phone away from her and say, how dare you shame her, essentially. Um, and again, you know, I mean, giving Trump the benefit of the doubt, some people say he's just not very smooth. He's not a politician. He doesn't really know how to handle these issues with the kind of finesse needed. But now the big story is how Trump evidently said to this African-American gold star uh, uh, wife mm -hmm. who has two children, uh, well, he knew what he was getting himself into. Which is horribly and You just don't say that. No, you don't say that. Well, and then I mean, it's funny because there's so much drama happening around this. And he it's, it's classic Trump where he makes these big claims – and then, you know, kind of has to backpedal out of it. But in addition to being insensitive, in addition to sharing false facts, um, apparently um, he called the father of an army sergeant, Dylan Baldridge, he called his father Chris Baldridge a few weeks after he and fellow soldiers were killed in Afghanistan and promised him $25,000 that he never mm. delivered. Yeah. So what's what's bubbling up to the surface, mm -hmm. you know, which if he would have been, you know, I think more diplomatic, no pun intended, this wouldn't have happened. But all of these Gold Star families are coming forward saying he didn't call me or mm -hmm. he called me and promised something he didn't offer mm -hmm. uh, or he didn't, you know, make good on. Um, and I guess, you know, reporters have been kind of calling, cold, which is terrible. They've been cold calling Gold Star families to ask, were you called by... President Trump or not, and about half have said no. We mm -hmm. did not get a phone call mm -hmm. from him. Mm -hmm. You know, and again, not that I mean, I don't know that the protocol has to be 100% phone call every single time. Right. But if you're going to stand in front of the nation and mm -hmm. accuse the previous president of not having called someone, mm -hmm. you kind of need to have that backed up. You do, and he has said explicitly over the last few days, and I heard it live, this isn't the media, No one. I, I saw his lips say, I call every single family, and he doesn't. And the reason why we think this is important, Kristen and I, and, and again, Trump seems to galvanize us together, is that this, 
this is unheard of territory that our country is in right now. We've had some, you know, shenanigans with Nixon and other, you know, Clinton, and we've had shenanigans without any question. But this is a whole new level of, wait, am I in a, am I in a dream or did I hear him say that no other president calls every family when he can't know that? And then later refute it and say, I've been told, and then have many families say no. It's just, it's this continued chaos that we've been talking about for a year and a half. Right, we have. And it is, it's chaos, it's crazy making. And you know, some are even suggesting that really all of this controversy is just to take attention away from the continuing issue of Puerto Rico, who at this time, you know, as of today, um, only one-fifth of the country has their electricity restored. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think sometimes he knows how to create a controversy to sort of smoke and mirror over the real issues. And the real issue here right now is Puerto Rico, is healthcare, is, you know, it, it's not whether or not these families got a phone call or didn't get a phone call. Yeah. I heard from a Republican friend today that said, you know, you're you're focusing on all the negatives, but look at all the things he's getting done. And I didn't get it. This was on social media. I didn't get it. I didn't respond. But, or it might have been a text message. But I don't really understand what he's getting done because what he said he would get done is, whether you agree or not, repeal and replace. That hasn't happened. He blames the Republican Congress. But nonetheless, he wasn't able to pull it off as the leader. No. Uh, building a wall. There's no wall. Um, you know, uh, uh, tax reform. There's no tax reform. No, he's really not made good on any of his right. promises. Draining yeah. the swamp has been a joke. Right. Yeah. He's brought in, and so there is a, there just is a, um, a sense of, uh, I don't want to say desperation, but it's like the the hard, die-hard Trump supporters are supporting him at any cost, no matter what. Mm -hmm. They support him, but for all the other, and some of those people are starting to question, you know, the whole, uh, yeah, make America great again dream because it seems to be mired in a lot of weird controversy. And yeah, back to Puerto Rico, you know, you don't call the mayor nasty. I don't care if she was nasty. Leaders don't do that. No, and it, no, it's it's unpresidential. It's, yeah. And I mean, you know, what we've got here too is just the, the constant um, off-the-cuff tweeting. Yeah. You know, and so much of this is fanned with his Twitter. Mm -hmm. Speaking of which, <laughs> segueing into... The latest healthcare thing. So, um, you know, in the last in the last few weeks, there have been some a, a bipartisan attempt mm -hmm. at a new healthcare reform, mm -hmm. which really, at the end of the day, is probably what we need. We need a bipartisan people from both sides coming together to figure out healthcare, right? So, um, there was a plan put forth by Lamar Alexander, who's a Republican, a doctor. Yes, yeah. great person. Mm -hmm. Patty Murray, she's a Democrat, and the two of them put together a plan that would fund the subsidies for two years. It, it would be a nice transition. It would provide short-term certainty to insurers, which everyone wants. Um, it would reimburse insurance companies for lowering deductibles, co-payments, and other stuff. So, you know, it it's a really solid. Again, bipartisan plan. Mm -hmm. It's not nationalized health care, mm -hmm. but at the same time, it's, you know, um, hopefully lowering costs. And so initially, Trump was all for it. You mm -hmm. know, he was he was supportive. Um, 
But then all of a sudden he backed down and he did it. Guess how he announced it? Twitter. Oh, on Twitter. Mm. On Twitter. So a tweet. In a tweet he said, I'm supportive of Lamar as a person and also of the process, but I can never support bailing out insurance companies who've made a fortune with Obamacare. Mm-hmm. Now, there's so much problematic in this. Yeah, and I when it comes to healthcare, I just I am so utterly confused because it's so complex. But what I get what where I go is it seems like Trump is just on a mission no matter what it takes, no matter what the policy is to just get rid of Obamacare. You know, what's going on? What are the policies? What are the issues? He just seems intent. He tried to do it through Congress a couple times uh pretty much unilaterally. Uh, and that didn't work out. And now he's, you know, signed executive action to start stripping it away. Which is, yeah, uh, horrible. Which he can do legally. But, uh, you know, John McCain put his thumb down twice only because he said we need to unite Democrats and Republicans together. We need to have hearings together with our sleeves rolled up so that we could solve this problem together right and that was mccain's whole gig i mean he yeah. just just saying we need to return back right. to the kind of civility that i remember in this in this in this chamber instead of these partisan uh, ramrodding uh, uh executions uh executing and and it just seems like we're stuck right because the republicans tried to ramrod this thing through it didn't happen so trump's going for an executive order right and well, and, you know, a lot of people are saying that the reason that he actually pulled his support is because he was getting criticism from the far right, you know, yeah. and he was concerned that it wasn't going to pass anyway, and he didn't want to lend support to something that failed again, because as you mentioned, everything has failed so far. Yeah, And as a Republican, as somebody who, you know, when Trump got uh, the nomination before he had, took office, uh, I was silent on social media. I said, I will support this man. I didn't like his campaigning. I'm not really sure who, who he is as a person, but I will wait and see how he does and you know how he performs and whether he's really able to do what he promised. And from day one, there's been chaos from been chaos. the election size yeah. to you know how he really won the popular vote. And here we are today yeah. with just more craziness <laughs> uh, that that is not helpful to the country as a Republican. It's not helpful to our party. Yeah, and it's you know it's classic because he's stripping things away, and yet he's not providing any solutions. And so it it really is bedlam. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, people are without care, mm-hmm. and um, you know he's stripping away parts of it that you know Obamacare. And I, you know, to be completely honest, I did not love Obamacare because mm-hmm. I was pro nationalized healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were aspects of it that sort of all worked together, mm-hmm. you know, like, um, and if you pull one cog out, the yeah. whole wheel doesn't work. Right. And so, you know, the things that he's pulling out kind of makes the whole thing untenable. Yeah. You know, yeah. it just shouldn't be a partisan issue. But the hard part is we do have people like you that believe in nationalized healthcare and then people that think that's socialism. And so we're trying to find this happy medium between the two, and it's just an absolute mess trying to get anything done. And I don't know where it goes. I mean, until I until we're more unified uh, as a country in Congress, uh, I just don't see how things get done. No, complex I don't things. Yeah. I don't either. Anyhow, 
All right. Well, you know, another piece of news this week was we had two different state federal courts um, overturn the the latest travel ban. Um, So um, both Hawaii and um, Maryland. And so the U.S. District Judge Theodore Schwang um, came just hours after the one in Hawaii, and he wrote, which is super interesting, he said, that during the president's campaign, his comments about Muslims as well as his Twitter postings pointed to the ban being an unconstitutional example of discrimination against Muslims. So while Trump has argued over and over again that that's not the case, many of us, Mm -hmm. you and I both included, have really felt that this was targeting Muslims. Mm -hmm. And this federal judge is basically saying the very thing, that very thing. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's kind of a bummer for Trump because he spoke and he tweeted and he put on his website specifically, I mean, you know, the famous line, he said, I'm calling for a total ban on all Muslims entering Mm -hmm. until we find out what the hell is going on. That was his famous line. And unfortunately we have this thing called um, balance of powers. And so we have the judicial branch saying, okay, well, let us see if this is really legal. And as part of their discovery, right. they put into it Trump's comments on Muslims. So basically he gets elected and his officials say, if you called a Muslim ban, we're not going to get it through. So they called it a travel ban. Right. It's like lipstick on a pig. Like yes. uh, no one is really fooled by this. Mm-hmm. And I think the most interesting thing to me about this ban is that there are seven Muslim countries. And of those seven Muslim countries, there has not been one killing on American soil by anybody from those seven Muslim countries, right? So these refugees are not killing people. They never have. But mixed in with that is 15 of the 19 hijackers on 9-11 were from Saudi Arabia. And guess which country isn't on the travel ban? Right. Saudi Arabia. And so to you hardcore right-wingers that are saying this is meant to keep America safe, wouldn't you think he would put Saudi Arabia on the travel ban, given that 15 of the 19 hijackers from 9-11 were from Saudi Arabia. Yeah, Saudi Arabia is not included. Egypt is not included. One of them was from Egypt. Yeah, I, I mean. One from United, two from United Arab Emirates. They're not included. Yeah. And so it doesn't. Well, you know, there's financial ties to those yeah. countries. I yep. mean, you know, this is a travel ban that. Um, you know, it's arbitrary. It doesn't make a ton of sense unless you really look at the money and then it actually makes perfect sense. Otherwise it doesn't make a lot of sense, but I mean, he just can't win on this travel ban. Um, you know, it it just keeps getting, um, it keeps getting overturned, um, by us district judges. And, you know, again, two, two in one week. Yeah. Yeah. And this just keeps happening over and over again and they keep modifying it over and over over again. They threw in North Korea and some other country to try to make it seem right. Oh, it's a diverse travel ban. That's right. Diverse travel. Muslims and Koreans. Yeah. Muslims and Korean. But you know, I don't, I just, we should be talking about the, you know, 15, 20,000 homicides every year happening in our own country. Mm -hmm. I had someone today say something interesting on social media. They said, I would way rather have a Muslim living next door to me than a white supremacist. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And you have direct well, <laughs> testimony of the difference. Yeah. I mean, I I do have yeah. Muslim neighbors right across the street. They're oh. quite, quite lovely. Yeah. She literally brings me food about once a month. Yeah. And um, on the converse, there was a white supremacist a few blocks over who pulled a gun on me. There you go. So, yeah, I would agree. But, you know, I mean, nobody wants to talk about... Yeah. Our problem with guns, mm-hmm. at least not, um, I, it feels like not on the right. And, 
you know, I was having a conversation with another friend and we were just saying how it literally like feels like logic is completely out the window when mm-hmm. it comes to gun control. Yeah. People are so ensconced in their views and it is so partisan. And, you know, I think you would agree with me when something seems so entrenched in partisan politics, I start to feel... I start to feel skeptical of the logic involved in coming to that place. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like when you hold a belief that, you know, I don't know, that doesn't seem to make sense except that your party holds that belief. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the, I think one of the first things you and I ever talked about is that the fact that I'm a Republican doesn't mean that all Democrats are bad and have terrible ideas. Right. And vice versa. Their ideas are ideas. They're good for the country or they're bad for the country. Right. But this travel ban is not good for the, it doesn't protect anybody. No. It doesn't, these people aren't, refugees are not killing Americans. No crazy wannabe Muslims are mm-hmm. once in a while. Once in a and while. And if you look at the statistics. Also white men. Yeah, also white men. And if you look at the statistics, yeah, I mean, 9-11, San Bernardino, these are horrible events. But if you look at the statistics, they are a drop in the bucket. <laughs> these things just right. don't really happen very often. I'm not saying we shouldn't find ISIS. I'm not saying we no, shouldn't kill sure. ISIS. No, for sure. For sure. But the purpose of terrorism is to incite paranoia, which means irrational fear. Right. And the terrorists are doing that to a huge population in America that these people are irrational thinking that they're just about to be blown up. And that is the purpose of terrorism. Yeah, I agree. They They are winning on the fear front. All right. Now well, just a light little issue now, coming up next. We're going to go to lighter things now. let's talk about sexual assault. Let's do that now. Well, so, you know, um, Harvey Weinstein has now been, um, you know, removed from his position in his own company with his brother due to numerous sexual assault allegations. And coming out of that, a number of women came forward um, with their stories of having been sexually assaulted by him when he was in a position of power over them. Um, and then from that, uh, campaign began where just all women started telling their own stories of sexual harassment and sexual assault. Um, it was, it's been referred to as the me too campaign. And I don't know about you, but my Facebook feed has been full of people, um, either just saying, saying the phrase me too in solidarity or, um, or recounting, um, things that have happened to them. And it, it's been compelling. It's been devastating to see um, how widespread this is. Um, and really, I mean, we have a real problem mm-hmm. with um, sexual ethics in our country and with, um, you know, we talk a lot about white supremacy. We don't talk quite as much about male supremacy. But at the end of the day, when you really look at the statistics, men are in positions of power in the workplace at much greater rates than women. And when you add the the rate at which women are sexually harassed or assaulted, it's a dangerous place for women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's awkward. You know, Chris and I are here, and it's awkward as a man. Um, and I said something earlier this week, something like, men will never understand. And there was a little bit of pushback, not a lot, but from a couple of women saying, well, you should understand. But I think my point, and a friend uh, said this to me, a, a female friend a year or two ago, you will never understand, Paul, what it's like walking to your car at night. You just won't. Yeah. Being a woman. Right. Like, no, I'm not trying to shame you. Right. But you will never understand. We grow up 
as yes. preyed on people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where men don't. And and it's weird, just in that moment, for some reason, it really stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And I've never been afraid. Uh, you know, I've never experienced fear that I could be raped or right. grabbed or thrown into a van. Never. Yeah. Any more than I've been, uh, you know, we've talked about racism a lot, any more than I've been uh, harassed in any way for being for my race because right. I'm white. Right. It just hasn't ever happened before. And so I think one of the biggest challenges for men is put all the statistics aside, and we're looking at a bunch of statistics sitting right in front of us, but it's just, you know, when I saw the Women's March, I thought if you add it up, how many of those women have either been abused, mm-hmm. harassed, or they know a mother, sister, cousin, best friend who has been abused, harassed? You have your two million people, right? I mean, it's an epidemic, and the statistics are overwhelming. Um, you know, I mean, according to the best surveys we have, half of all American women, 54%, have experienced unwanted and inappropriate sexual advances at some point in their life. Um, yeah. That's... <laughs> oh, I mean, I absolutely think that's true. And, you know, it's funny because I do think it is one of those things that you you just, it's almost a part of life as a woman. Like I, I like to run back bay and I like to run, um, the, the bike path to beach. And I do, I mean, you know, you see, you see, um, a guy and you're alone, you know, and you know, that there's no one else for about a mile around and that, you know, you do think like, oh, I, you know, like I'll pull my phone out just to have my phone sure. visible right. or, um, or I'll even, you know, shoot a text like, hey, just FYI, uh, you know. I mean, that is a, a persistent concern as yeah. a woman that that could really happen to you um, at any time. And and I don't think that men, like like you said, they don't experience that. So I think you saying that this is something you'll never understand, I think that's fair. I mean, I think you should try to um, empathize and and understand on a logical level and and listen and i think it's good that i i do think a lot of men have been listening mm-hmm. um which is fantastic but i had a friend post an interesting question on facebook he said you know i really have been noticing that most of the me too um comments and stories have come from people with more liberal leanings mm-hmm. have you noticed that trend on your social media pages uh, no. Uh, I mean, even my own sister today, uh-huh. I'm so surprised because I know of an incident and she never talks about mm. it. And she posted all she posted and she's not a big social media gamer at all. Mm-hmm. And she posted me too. And I just like, I got tears in my eyes. Yeah. And so no, she's the furthest thing from, a, yeah. I mean, now this is anecdotal. She's just one person. Yeah. But, um, yeah. And this is another issue where why is a Republican why do these social issues have to be Democrat or Republican? Well, they shouldn't be. But I, do, I, I made the same observation. In my feed, it is, you know, the women who are speaking up are, are probably the women who went to the march, are probably the women oh, who, I see what you're saying. you yeah. know what I'm saying, who voted for Hillary. And I am noticing that my more conservative friends are pretty mum on this topic. Oh, I see what you're and saying. I don't yeah. know why that is. Yeah, okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I do, I do see that now. Yeah. I see what you're saying. I think it's like... Like, why would this be a liberal issue? Why would sexual assault be a liberal issue? Long pause. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. I mean, and or or is it just that there's a fear of being vocal because the movement was started by someone more liberal or because... I mean, I don't know. 
it's just it's it's an interesting thing. And in my experiences of of seeing sexual harassment in the workplace, and I have one issue that I was very intimately involved with, not as an actor, but as someone who was pulled into the eventual firing of a CEO uh, over uh, very, very um, uh, sexual harassment with evidence. Uh, it's just so obvious as to why women don't come out. Yeah. It's just obvious. It beca- is. Because they're going to be questioned, yep. fired, yeah. uh, mocked, ridiculed, not, not believed, starting yeah. with not believed. Yeah. Um, and... It's it's just epidemic. It's it's just sickening to think, you know, with the Harvey Weinstein, these women, you know, someone was saying to me, well, you know, these women should have come out years earlier. And I'm, it's some male, some white male, yeah, of Protestant, of course, saying, you know, these women should have come out earlier. And the whole gig is the whole back backbone, the illness, the sickness of this is that women don't feel like they can come out because no one will believe them and they'll get fired. Well, it's that no one will believe them. And then it's also the power differential. And, you know, I think that's the thing that men don't understand is when this has Mm -hmm. happened to you at the hands of your boss, your pastor, your your doctor, whatever, um, there's a power differential and you're concerned about your job and you think like, I don't want to lose this job. So I'm just going to like keep it on the down low. And then, you know, sometimes there there's plausible deniability. And so, you know, a situation happens and they could say, well, that was outside of the workplace or well that, you know, oh, that's not what I meant. Or I wasn't really hitting on you. Gosh, you're so sensitive. You know, all of that kind of of nuance as well. Right. So like bringing this into politics and I'm reading one of my tweets from a couple of weeks ago, Bill Cosby lost his career. Bill O'Reilly lost his TV show. Harvey Weinstein lost his company. Donald Trump, nothing. And he's had 15 women. Now, I know the tendency of people on the right is to say, well, they came out later. The reason they didn't all come out later, some of them came out at the time or Mm -hmm. nearly after the time, but the reason that they came out later is he stood on national television after the uh, Access Hollywood tape about him grabbing women by the you-know-what and said, I've never sexually Uh harassed any woman. Right women and they came out they said we're done yeah. we're coming out and you know we live in a weird time because a lot of my conservative friends want to say well bill clinton and that's fine mm-hmm. we could talk about bill clinton's sins but he's kind of been dealt with i think that kind of happened a few decades ago but how is it that again people on the right weren't as appalled with bill o'reilly or Roger Ailes, who owned Fox News, he was the not right. owned, but he was the CEO of Fox News. Right. Uh, I didn't hear outrage when from conservatives when the Republicans were guilty of sexual abuse, but when it was a, a liberal Hollywood mogul, they come out and talk about how disgusting it is. And my point isn't to push my finger in the chest of conservatives; it's to say, people, we have to be honest with the facts. Yeah. Even if it makes us look bad. All of it is bad. And, you know, our, our president, you know, he has sexually harassed people with impunity, and it's gross. It's disturbing and gross. Yeah. One of these polls says that uh, 33 million, 33 million uh, U.S. women have been sexually harassed and 14 million sexually abused in work-related episodes. Yeah. And that is not even surprising to me based on what I've seen. Yeah, no, that is, that is absolutely not surprising to me. To me either. So, you know, I, I think, um, where do we, where do we go from here with all of this? I mean, I think a big part of it is, you know, 
I think men need to police their own. You know, yeah, in the same yeah. way that when it comes to racism, white people need to come for their own people. I think men need to start having these conversations with one another. You know, I think the old boys club, boys will be boys, you know, it needs to change. Yeah. Yeah. Though I haven't ever been in, I mean, I think the most I've seen in terms of being an accomplice is having men make disgusting jokes about women. Sure. And that's, you know, what Trump said about that woman, I've never heard, maybe in my worst like high school moment, I heard yeah. guys talking that way, but these are like the scum of the earth that would say something. I don't hear men talk about grabbing women uh, in that way. I've never really heard that. I don't think it's locker room talk is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But in terms of a lot of the kind of normal, quote, normal, unquote, joking that men endure behind women's backs, boy, it's really tough because it just seems like, it's, I'm, I'm being honest, it just seems to be such a part of culture. Like, oh, shut up. You, you know, I, I would never do that, but... Yeah, but I think, you know, in the same way, I think, you know, making racist jokes could be called just a part of the culture. I mean, and at the end of the day, it's it's really, it is still a breeding ground for these kind of ideologies, you know, yeah. because one person might just be joking and another person might think like, well, this is per giving me permission. Yeah. We have a lot of issues and we think, Chris and I think that part of what brings these things to the surface, like racism existed 10 years ago. It wasn't just when Donald Trump came to office. Sure. Uh, sexual uh, abuse uh, and harassment has been around for a long time, mm -hmm. but it really became a bigger issue during the Clinton administration, given Paula Jones and given right. Monica Lewinsky. These things have a way of coming to the forefront. Yeah. Interestingly, during Obama's administration or Bush's administration, we didn't hear a lot about it because we all know these were good guys. You might not agree with their policies, but when it comes right. to the harassment of women, right. nobody thinks these were those types of people. Um, but now with Trump, again, like with racist issues, uh, given his past, there are some women that are being triggered by the fact that this man yeah. is our president, given his history with women. Well, you know, actually, going back, though, Clinton was, you know, in trouble for sexual harassment in the workplace. I yeah. mean, essentially, he was in a position of power over Monica yeah. Lewinsky and got sexually involved with her. Yeah. Um, but he was censured. Yep. You know? Uh, impeached. Yeah. I mean, you know, he, he did have some accountability there. Um, but I do agree with you that I, I think Trump is... There is something about him that is kind of bringing so much of this to the surface mm -hmm. in both good and bad ways mm -hmm. um, because it is galvanizing some people. Um, you know, the whole, like, I don't have to be politically correct. Boys will be boys, you know, oh, kind gosh. of kind of answers we heard from some people. Um, and similarly with, you know, the race discussions, I don't need to be political politically correct. I don't need to, you know, elevate the stories of, Minorities, that kind of a thing. Right. Why is a as a woman, Kristen, I could never understand this. Like I said, I could never feel the tangible feelings of fear that women. I could try to understand, but it's sympathy, not empathy. Yeah. How how do you think women can give him a pass? Given, I mean, nobody nobody disputes that he's been a womanizer. He yeah. has said horrible things about women. You have to treat them like shit. That was one of the things he said years ago. Like he's on record. Yeah. Nobody denies that. The comments he's made when you can hear his voice yeah. about going backstage during these beauty pageants or right. whatever. Like, how as a woman do women give him a pass? You know, I just think that a lot of these women have been socialized in families where this kind of talk and behavior is the norm. And, um, you know, it, it's like a frog in a frying pan. I think some of these women, just this is how they've lived. They don't know any different. They don't realize 
um, that it's bad. You know, in the same way that we've had racist presidents, you know, in mm-hmm. our in our um, beautiful history, in our wonderful um, U.S. history, and they were given a pass for saying racist things because that was the culture that those people grew up in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I do think that there are many women whose fathers, husbands, you know, brothers mm-hmm. talk like this and they just think, again, boys will be boys. Yeah, someone uh, texted me innocently, but it wasn't really that innocent. A meme uh, this week, someone I have a lot of conversations with, a Republican friend, uh, and it was a meme of marches during Prohibition saying... Uh, give us our booze back or something mm-hmm. like these people have these signs and he said and the hit, what my friend wrote was back in the days when there was actually something to march about wow and he is a good man and uh. i just am like uh and i gave him an emoji of like a face of like that face where you're kind of like you know yeah and he said i was just kidding well not funny Ugh. but you know i mean that lends us back to like I don't know. I mean, at the beginning of our conversation, you know, you said that we, you know, we don't want to assume that people are bad people due to their politics. But that's not even politics. That's that's a general viewpoint, right, of humanity and a dismiss, you know, a dismissive tone towards social injustice. And that's not even politics. Like, I do judge that person because that's a lack of empathy for your fellow human being. Totally. Yeah. So, I don't know. The thing back to the, the thing with women, I mean, I could understand, uh, I think you might have told me or someone else wrote that when you're not a minority, you have the luxury, you have the luxury of saying, you know, I don't want to get involved in right. that. Right. You have Absolutely. the luxury. Right. But when you're black, you do not have the luxury. Right. You don't right. get to say, well, it's not really an issue or there aren't that many KKK members right. out there. You And as a woman, you don't have the luxury either. But I guess, again, going back to, but then why would some women not, you know, like you're saying, many conservative women aren't being outspoken, mm-hmm. not being Me Too women. Yeah. That will just baffle me forever. Because it's, I not, a political, I don't it's, get not, a, it, it's but not a political issue. It's not. That's weird. All right. Well, I think that's it for this week. Yes. Thanks, guys, for joining us. And um, go ahead and subscribe if you would like to follow along. We're going to do these conversations regularly. Um, and you can also find us online at whypartisan.com. Um, Leave us your comments. We would love to hear them. Yes. Be sure to subscribe to Why Partisan on iTunes and check us out on the web at whypartisan.com. A big thanks to Shepard Audio for providing our intro music.